So what was clear to us this year is that we were blessed abundantly in the things that mattered to God. Things like stillness, things like community, things like just being quiet in the presence of God. From the little things to the big things, it felt as if God has just always been there. For me personally, there hasn't been any heart-stopping, earth-shattering, or wow moments, but more about a gentle guidance throughout the year. Today, we'll be reading from Isaiah 9, verses 2 and 6, as we anticipate the birth of Jesus. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We're the Oyelowo Franz family, and today we celebrate peace. Well, good morning, everyone. A warm welcome to all of Westwood campuses. My name is Ben, and honored to get to bring today's message. Uh, we're, going, we're continuing our series uh, in Advent series, looking at the names of Jesus uh, coming to us in Revelation. And as Pastor Joel has mentioned, uh, historically for Advent isn't just a time to look forward to Jesus' first coming as a baby, but also to his second coming. And that's what we're doing as we look at these names, especially today when we look at him as the lion and the lamb. And this is profound, the lion and the the lamb. And I don't know how often we think of the second coming, but when Jesus came the first time as a baby, he came in humility. He came even in scandalous humility. And in his second coming, he will come in power, in glory, in honor. There is going to be no mistaking his return. And today, we get to talk about him through the lens of Christmas, but also, also the lens of his return. Jesus, the lion, and the Lamb, and I don't know how often many many of us even think about Jesus' return. Uh, I have a friend who a few years ago was walking out of the grocery store uh, with her son. Her son was just a little guy at the time. He had a candy bar, and they're kind of heading out to the car. And as they did, it was, it was one of those days where the weather was turning, and uh, there's like a cloud, a wall of clouds coming. Can you can you picture that? Like where the, the colors all seem to shift a little bit around and the storm is coming in and she looks at these clouds and she goes, wow, it looks like Jesus could be coming back right now. And her son looks at the clouds, looks at her, looks at his candy bar, <laughs> says, but do you think he'll let me finish my candy bar first? <laughs> and I wonder, I wonder how many of us miss the weight of what it means that Jesus, the lion and the lamb, is going to return. And the victory that he brings with him, so much so that maybe even a candy bar seems a little more important than the moment, than that potential. And so today we're going to dive into that. We're going we're gonna to look at Revelation chapter 5 and unpack that. And, and as we think about this, uh, I think this is an apt time to uh, dive deeply into this because as we enter into this season of Christmas, this is a, a season that amplifies the things in our lives. So if, if things are going great and your relationships are in a good place, the season of Christmas tends to have a little extra sparkle around it, doesn't it? 
Like it just kind of amplifies all the good. But the same is true when we have hardship in our lives. Uh, for those of us who this Christmas, maybe our relationships aren't all in a, in a great spot. And maybe we're not gonna spend time this Christmas with some people we're really hoping that we could spend time with. Maybe, and, and this is true in our household, maybe this is the first Christmas without somebody. And this season also amplifies the struggles and the sorrows and the hardships. And so as we come into this season, and the next week in particular, I really believe that if we understand what it means that Jesus is the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God and all that that means, I actually think it gives us a superpower against the struggles, the hardships, and the, sor and the sorrows that can come with this season. Uh, so I, I don't know how many of you have ever dreamed of having a superpower. I'm just gonna tell you, I have, I do. Hey, go ahead, let me know, can I see you? Even in your home, yep, looking at you. Yeah, so uh, I, when my kids were little, they all imagined their superhero personas. So my oldest, uh, his persona was Cosmic Nate. And then uh, my son Eli, he was Eli Super Duper Duper, so double the dupers. And then uh, my daughter Ava, her superhero name was Princess Big Girl. Uh, that, that one doesn't really age well. You know, it works, works well when you're little, but... But my boys, they had every superpower. Like Superman, he had them, they have them. So what superpowers do you have? All of them, right? Lasers and super strength and all that. My daughter, now she had some very unique superpowers. Uh, one was the sonic scream, which she did practice from time to time. Uh, the other one, which I think is the most unique superpower, and frankly, it's kind of brilliant when you think about it, but it's the power to shoot babies out of her hands. So, I mean, now just think about this, what that actually means. Like, like hey, evildoer, instant responsibility on all who oppose you, right? Here you go, evildoer. Here's a child. See you in 20 years. Have fun paying for college, right? Amazing, brilliant. So what I, what I hope to do is when we understand who the lion and the lamb is, Jesus, that, that that actually gives us a superpower of sorts, a perspective to see things different even in the amplified hardships that can come with this season. So you tracking with me so far? All right, so let's dive into that. And we're gonna start by looking at who Jesus is, the portrait of Jesus. And I have this question for you. Who do you say that Jesus is? I mean, if I were to ask you, if we were just sitting down one-on-one -on -one and I said, what is your portrait of Jesus? How would you answer that? Maybe you'd say Lord, Savior, King. Some people just say he's a good man. I don't know what your answer to that is. But I'll tell you this, I think the answer to that question is frankly one of, if not the most important things about you. But I do suspect that a lot of us who have been around church for a while, like we get, our head knows who Jesus is, but I'm not always sure our heart gets who Jesus is. I mean, I, I was that kid. Like I grew up in the church. Literally, my house was on the parking lot of the church, right? So I grew up literally right there. And I was the kid when, uh, you know, in, in uh, church when they'd have the children's message and come forward. Like, I, I was the kid when, if the pastor asked a question and everybody's kind of going, I, I think the answer's supposed to be Jesus, I'm the one who'd be like, you know, actually it's Melchizedek and this is a foreshadow of Jesus' priestly and kingly nature. And th I was that kid. 
And even though I knew all those things here, I didn't know those things in my heart. Maybe that's part of growing, that there's a point in our faith walk where it moves from being the faith of our parents to being our own faith, and that's a really important transition. But for me, it took a number of wake-up calls to move from head knowledge to truly heart. Uh, one of those wake-up calls was, was a bit traumatic. I was driving home late at night, um, and these are in my college days, and country roads in Wisconsin, and I was driving home way later than I should, so I was just exhausted. So uh, j- let me set the scene for you. Driving uh, in my, my car at the time was a Geo Metro. Anybody familiar with that? Mm-hmm. Basically an egg on wheels. Yeah, it had a, you know, you got your motorcycle engine, and just a hair above that, uh, is the Geo Metro, three cylinders. Uh, man, that thing, that thing. So anyway, <laughs> was driving that back late at night, was way too tired, and I was doing that head nod thing. You know, has this ever happened to you? You don't realize you're falling asleep until you catch yourself, your head popping back up. Some of you are like, yeah, that's what I do in church, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so I had that moment where my, my eyes were down and I popped open awake just in time to see a stop sign flying by. And this was a stop sign with a T in the road and the other side was a hill. And so first off, thank God nobody was coming the other way. Secondly, thank God for a tiny car and little inertia. Physics was on my side because I was able to slam on the brakes, slid around, pounded right into the side of the hill, but no damage to me and no damage to the car, at least that I could tell. And I got out of the car and you know, suddenly I'm wide awake and two thoughts are going through my head. Um, the first one, uh, I wonder if there's any damage my parents will see. <laughs> the second one, man, that could have been it. And if that was it, where, where is the sum total of my life? I mean, I had that moment. What is my portrait of Jesus? And it wasn't a good one. It was all head and no heart. Did I really know Jesus as my Lord, as my King, as the lion and the lamb, which we're gonna dive into here in a second. And I, I don't know about you and your walk and your story, but I hope that you can learn, if you need a wake-up call, you can learn from mine instead of having to have one of your own. But I do pray that all of us wake up to the reality of who Jesus is because it really is that important. And so let's take a look at what Revelation says about who Jesus is. Revelation 5, specifically, uh, we're going to look at him as the lion and the lamb. And in Revelation 5, we enter into what is, is called by one commentator the most sublime scene. It is a climactic moment in Scripture, and it's a vision that John has of God in his throne room. We kind of sung around that, about that with the Revelation song moment of, of everybody gathered around in the throne room of God Almighty, and there's this scroll that's brought out, and there's great weeping and struggle because nobody is worthy to open the scroll. And then we get this, Revelation 5, 5 and following. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is Jesus, by the way. The heir to David's throne. And if I, if I had a highlighter or if you're reading this in your Bible, I would highlight this. Has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw the lamb. So the lamb is also Jesus. The lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne. Catch this. The lamb slaughtered is alive. 
victorious, now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. So we see here Jesus is referred to as both the lion and the lamb. So, so let me help unpack this for us a little bit. The lion refers to Jesus' victory and eternal reign as king of kings. This is attached to him and the prophecy of, of David would have an heir who would reign forever, the fulfillment of all God's promises, Jesus, the king of kings forever and ever, the lion, regal, powerful, eternal king. And the lamb refers to Jesus' willing sacrifice as the one who laid down his life for us. So both the lion and the lamb. Now these two together, I believe, create the narrative of narratives, the story of stories, the historical account of all historical accounts. In fact, I think this truth, the lion and the lamb, the lion, all power and authority, laying it out, down humbly, the lamb sacrificially laying down his life is the story that so echoes into every human heart that it's actually the story we all love to hear over and over and over again, even if we don't always recognize that it's these marks that we're hearing in a story. So for instance, every great, I shouldn't say every great movie, but so many movies that our culture loves, so many stories that become blockbuster hits are actually just echoing the story of Jesus. All power, all authority, humbly laid it down to save those who couldn't save themselves. I mean, think about it. I mean, there are so many examples, just a couple that, that I think of immediately. One is Finding Nemo. And uh, I still, I gotta admit, I still cry at that movie. The father who lays down everything. The clownfish who, who, uh, who braves the sea and, and, and even sharks all these things to save his son who's lost. Or the Marvel movies. Man, they have made a lot of great movies basically retelling the same sacrificial story in different Tones. In fact, uh, it, one of the most recent Avengers movies, and by the way, if you haven't seen it yet, I'm sorry, I, I don't want to ruin it, but you have had your chance, right? <laughs> but one of the most recent Avengers movies, um, the climactic moment, one of the heroes lays down his life and in so doing saves everyone else. And I was reading about the authors of that movie, those who, who created it, and they said they purposely in the movie set up his character to have the most to lose. So when that moment of sacrifice would come, we would feel it the heaviest. And I think all they're doing is echoing the story of Jesus who had everything, has everything, laid down everything humbly for us, the lion and the lamb. Laid it down for us who could not help ourselves. And I wonder if we really get that that story, the one that we seem to love to hear in a thousand other ways, is the story of Jesus laying down his life for us. I, I wonder if we really get it. Wouldn't, shouldn't our hearts beat a little bit faster? Be just, be just overwhelmed with gratitude for that. Like I, I, kind, I sometimes think we get so familiar with hearing the good news, the gospel of Jesus, that the weight of it is kind of, it's kind of shifted, that we just kind of go through the motions. So, I didn't grow up in Minnesota. Um, 
And so I don't have this hockey thing in my blood that so many people here do. But I know some people who really, really love hockey. And not too long ago, I got to go to a wild game with a super fan. So not only did he have his jersey, but he had a closet full of jerseys to choose from so that I could also come and look the part. So, I, so I, I'm going to the game with him, the super fan. I'm wearing a jersey with some Russian name on the back I can't pronounce. And I'm sitting in uh, center ice, amazing seats. And from everybody's outside perspective, I'm sure I looked like a super fan. Right? I've got the jersey. I'm sitting in great seats. When amazing things happened on the ice, I, like everybody would stand up and cheer. I stood up and cheered. Maybe a half second later than everybody else, but I did the same. And from the outside perspective, I looked the super fan. But the truth is, I was looking the part. Inside, I was still going, I, I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> and I wonder how many of us have gotten so used to the motions of church world that, that we do know how to, when to stand and when to sit down, what, what to sing, how to serve, what to say. We know how to look the part. But has the reality of it moved from our head, we, we know that, to our heart, we get that. Like one of the things that we love to do, like around Easter, is we've got this phrase where we'll go, he is risen, and then everybody responds, he is risen indeed, right? And I always find it funny how often that is just more stated, like we're reading it, than it is like an exclamation of victory, right? Because we'll be like, the, the, somebody up front will be like, he is risen, and then we'll be like, he is risen indeed, right? Like, just think about this. Today, some of us are going to be watching a football game, and at the end of this game, your team is going to win in some amazing, miraculous, last-minute fashion, and you're going to jump off of your couch, and you're going to look at each other, and you're going to say, we have won. <laughs> we have won indeed. <laughs> like, that's not going to happen, right? But the victory of victories in Jesus he is risen indeed. Like there's so much more to it. It is the penultimate victory of victories. Let's not let familiarity with it keep us from the wow of it. Jesus, the lamb. So let's dive in this a little bit deeper. Jesus is the lamb. Now here's the thing about God Almighty coming in flesh Jesus and then being called the lamb of God. Like domestic sheep, First of all, they're not regal or royal or strong. Like, they are the snacks of the animal kingdom. <laughs> like, when, if, a, if a domestic sheep falls over, they literally cannot get themselves back up. Like, they have to be lifted up or that's it. They're done. Like, in Psalm 23 where it says he leads them be, be, beside still waters, like, a domestic sheep needs to literally be led to water or it will die of thirst. It is a helpless animal, and the most helpless of helpless is a lamb. And yet here's Jesus in the most humble fashion, the lamb of God. And, and the even deeper connection is the Passover lamb. And I think many of us know this, but the Passover lamb is so significant because here in the Old Testament, Moses is crying out God's message, let my people go, and, and this last plague comes where an angel of death and they take the blood of a lamb and they put it on their doorposts and that is where judgment passes over them. And so Jesus is the lamb 
the one who takes and pays the price by his blood so that judgment will pass over us. Man, it, that's huge. That's beyond huge. He is also the lion. Jesus the lion. And when we hear about the lion, the lion is regal. The lion is strong. The lion is royal. The lion of the tribe of Judah specifically speaks to the prophetic word that from the tribe of Judah would come the king of kings for, who would reign for eternity. The fulfillment of all God's promises. This is huge. And so I think to fully understand the lion and the lamb, we actually have to look at things from the very, kind of very beginning and look at the whole picture of God's creation and the bigger picture. And so, so if we go all the way back to the beginning, uh, at first God made everything and it was good. But we know today things are not good. Like we know something is broken, true? Like the evidence of brokenness in our world is everywhere, right? We have war, COVID itself, sickness, death, the Hallmark Channel, evidence of brokenness <laughs> everywhere, just, just calling it like I see it. <laughs> we know there's brokenness, but here's the thing. A lot of people ask this question in the face of that. They say, well, well why isn't God doing, why doesn't God do something about that? And I think what that question misses is the point that God is doing, has done, and is already doing something about it. In fact, the other Part of that is, I think we miss just how merciful God has been to us. So a number of years ago, I was teaching an eighth grade religion class, and I had the eighth graders create their own worlds. And they're, they're super creative. Eighth graders, like, they, I, it, like, create your own people. You're the God of this world, so what are the rules? How do they operate? So one kid made a Tootsie Roll people and they had gumdrops raining from the sky another one had a whole fruit-based world and they had their laws and rules and some of them were kind of out there but they were the god of their worlds that, that was their domain they could do that so they got really into this created all these worlds and then and then I sat down with them after all this presentation and I said oh guys I've got really bad news your people have decided to reject you as their god They've decided that they don't like your rules and your laws and they can do a better job. They don't, they don't want to follow you as their God. And so I asked those eighth graders, I said, well, what are you going to do about that? And I kid you not, they said, smite them, eat them, melt them, smush them. <laughs> they were brutal. <laughs> Except for one kid goes, I would become as a Tootsie Roll myself and lay myself down sacrificially. Like, okay, okay, you get it. You get what we're trying to get at, right? But just thank God he doesn't have the temperament of an eighth grader, right? Because at the very beginning, the world's broken. And who broke it? People disobeyed God. And he could have, if he had the temperament of an eighth grader, just said, done. Instead, he said, wait. His judgment will come, justly so. But he offered hope and the promise of restoration to what was broken. And he's doing it at his own sacrifice. That's what the lamb is. And that's what the lion is. And he, he gives us in this moment, in the Old Testament, Adam and Eve, uh, they, uh, they sin, and, and some people like to just blame Eve, like, well, it was just the woman's fault, but actually Adam was right there 
with her. Uh, and right there in the, the middle of that brokenness, uh, God offers the first gospel. It's called the Proto-Oi-Engelion, which is just a fancy way to say the first good news. And we get that here in Genesis 3.15. And it says this, and I will cause hostility. This is actually given, this word is given to the serpent, to Satan. I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is talking about the child of Eve, a child of Eve, child of man, is going to crush the head of Satan. Or another way to say it is that life is going to conquer death. And God gave that promise right from the beginning. Now, I find this fascinating. I just, I, I, I just want to share this little piece because I think this is so interesting. So Adam and Eve, right there at the beginning, Eve actually was not named, given her name, until after the fall into sin, brokenness entering, all these things happening. So we read this in Genesis 3.20. Then the man Adam named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. So catch this, right after the entry into sin, right after Adam had just blamed God and his wife for this entry into sin, he doesn't name her bringer of death, he names her Eve, which means life. And so her name from the very moment it was given was a moment, was a name of hope that God's promised one would bring restoration, life conquering death. Light breaking into darkness. How often do we miss that? God brought hope right from the get-go. And then every prophecy throughout the whole Old Testament, every prophet coming, they just add more layers to he's gonna come, Jesus, this, this promised one, the Messiah will come, he'll be the king of kings, he'll be the lion of David, he'll be the lamb of God, he'll come humbly and he'll also come again in all authority and all power. All that just layers on. And then it brings us back now to Revelation. So bouncing from Genesis, now we're going back to our Revelation passage. Now in Revelation chapter five, as we, as we were looking at that, there's this scroll. And I don't know if you thought about it, like what is that scroll? Well, in ancient times, a last will and testament or an inheritance would be put on a scroll in that form. And so the scroll represents God's fulfillment, his inheritance. The scroll represents the fulfillment of God's promise to Adam and Eve that life would conquer death. And so I find this really interesting. As you read through Revelation 5, this, this scroll is brought out and John's even weeping that they would open it. Everybody wants to open. But once they open it, it's like seven seals filled with terrible things. It's like plagues and brokenness and hardship. And I'm like, why is everybody so excited about this being open when all it seems to bring is pain and hardship? And this is why. Because this is pain and hardship, which is the delayed judgment of God to be followed by his promised restoration. So opening the scroll unleashes God's delayed judgment to be followed by his promised restoration. Now, 
kind of the simplest kind of image I can use in, in, in our world to think about this is that sometimes there are pains that we press through because we know on the other side is so much joy. One of those I would say is, is childbirth, right? Like nobody's looking forward to the labor part, but you know when that labor starts, you get excited because you know on the other side is the joy of that new baby's first cry. On one side, pain, but on the other side, all the joy. And here, in opening the scroll, yeah, it's a lot of pain, but it's the promise of what's to come. Jesus, it even says of Jesus in Hebrews, for the joy set before him, joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And so here we are today, we can start to think differently about the hardships we encounter because we know the restoration of Jesus is coming. And I really believe that when we get that, not just in our head, but in our hearts, it gives us a superpower, a superpower of perspective that lets us work through even the hardest hard things, the most amplified hardships and sorrows in our world, because we know, we know that the victory is in Jesus. See, there are some things that are so good that they overpower anything negative in our life. Right? You know how usually it feels like the negatives always outweigh the positive? Like my brother wrote a book and he got one negative review and it was like that weighed heavier than hundreds of positive reviews. But every once in a while in life, there's a thing that's so good and so amazing that it itself overpowers and gives us a superpower against anything negative. Like, like my wedding was one of those. Like, like there was a giant snowstorm before our wedding. I stepped on my wife's dress in the midst of, midst of everything. I left a mark on it. I had a terrible haircut coming into the wedding. But all, none of that mattered. It's like, but we're at the end of the day, we're getting married, right? Like that, that, over, that joy overwhelmed anything else that was negative. When we get the gospel of Jesus, the lion and the lamb, I think it gives us a superpower that echoes into today and overpowers everything else. And, and let me bring it all together uh, with this illustration and kind of pull from here. Um, I have noticed that there is a difference between Minnesota sports fans and Wisconsin sports fans. Now, this is not going where you think I'm going, all right? But I've noticed this, that Minnesota sports fans, no matter how good the game might be going, no matter how great the record is for your team, you're always, like, like your team could hypothetically be up by 29 points in the third quarter. <laughs> and, you're, and, and Minnesota fans are thinking to themselves, I'm just not going to get emotionally involved yet. <laughs> right? Not until this game is over and I know we've won, Right? Then, after the clock is actually done, the kick actually went through, then, now I'm going to get emotionally involved and enjoy this. Am I right? Yeah, Wisconsin sports fans are a little bit different. They tend to hold on to a little bit more. I think we can pull this out. Minnesota's like, uh, we're going to hold back that emotional response. Now, imagine this, Minnesota sports fans. You're watching a game that you've pre-recorded, so you know the end score before you start it. Man, is there anything better than watching the game? All these terrible things can happen. Your kicker could miss five kicks in a row, right? The other team can score. All these things can happen, but you're always thinking, but at the end of this game, I know we win, right? You're more watching going, I wonder how we're going to pull this off because I, I know how it ends. Listen, 
We, as followers of Jesus, know the end of the story. The end of the story of all stories. That at the end of all things, Jesus is victorious. We know at the end, our king is the victor. And that should change everything. So let me um, back up again. And remember, this is a season of amplification. For those of us that this is sparkly, it's going to emphasize, amplify the sparkliness. For those of us with hardship and strained relationships and grief and loss, it's going to amplify the loss. So let me just take the scripture of Jesus, the scripture, Romans specifically, 8, and I just, I just want to imagine that it's, it's just us hanging out in your living room. Maybe for those of you online, um, that we are in your living room and looking right at you and just want to read these words of truth to you and I'm going to kind of rephrase this as directed towards you. So hear this, God's word to you. What shall we say about such wonderful things as this? Romans 8, 31 and following. If God is for you, who could ever be against you? Since he did not spare his own son but gave him up for you, won't he also give you everything else? Who dares accuse you whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn you? No one. For Christ died for you and was raised to life for you. That's the point where like our heart should maybe flutter just a little bit. And he is sitting in the place of honor at the right hand pleading for you. Now hear this, verse 35 and following. Can anything ever separate you from Christ Jesus and his love? Does it mean he no longer loves you if you have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Way too many of us tend to associate God's presence with us based on our level of comfort. But he's saying, hey, Hey, can, does any of those things separate you from God's love? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No, hear this loud and clear. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loved us. Do you hear what it just said? Overwhelming victory is yours, is ours because of Jesus. Now, I think like in, in Revelation after this, the scroll is opened. Do you see what, what happens next? Everybody just starts singing praise to God. Worthy is the lamb. Worthy are you, Jesus. Honoring. Like I, in heaven, we do a lot of singing. And I think sometimes when I think about the heavenly choir, I think, man, it's gonna sound absolutely terrible. <laughs> and here's why. Because I don't think it's the Bens and the Tituses and the Callies and the Yonis who are singing, only singing. I don't think it's just the great voices. I think it's all of us. All singing ugly loud, right? You know, you can ugly cry. You can also sing ugly loud. I just so like, cannot help it. I'm just so overwhelmed with seeing and experiencing the fullness of the restoration the completeness of what the lion and the lamb has actually bought for us that we cannot help. It's like high school musical breaking out all over the place. We cannot help but sing out loud with all we've got. Worthy are you, Jesus. Worthy is your name. Glory to you. Praise you now and forever. We lift your name high. Listen, we are gonna sing about it for eternity because we're gonna see it in all its fullness. And you know what this means? 
This means that Jesus' victory is the victory of victories. This means that nothing, no matter how amplified or hard it is in this world, nothing stands up against his victory. We know the end of the game. We know the end of the story. It is his victory now and forever. The lion and the lamb, the victory. That means that sickness does not have the last word. Jesus does. That means COVID does not have the last word. Jesus does. That means that death itself does not have the last word. Jesus does. His is the victory now and forever. And we, we can start living that. That truth can echo into our lives today. Now and forever. Jesus, the lion and the lamb. The victory. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, we give glory and honor to you. All victory, all honor is due to your name. Jesus, you are the lion, all power, and the lamb, the sacrificial one. And Jesus, I pray that in this amplified season that you would show us who you are, not just our heads, but our hearts. I pray that you would give us the wake-up moments for those of us who need them to see you. And I pray that the truth of your victory, which will echo out in our praises for eternity, would begin to echo out in our lives today. Jesus, I pray this in your name and for your glory alone. Amen.